glory. Thank you, Chris. The glory and the power of God. You know, man, what a great song. Thank you, Eden and Joe, for leading this. Um, you know, a couple of, uh, about a year and a half ago, I, uh, I got a call from one of my good friends, Jeremy Freeman, who um, I love deeply. He, he worked for me. We worked together at Council Road. He's the pastor at First Baptist in Newcastle. And, um, and Jeremy, uh, his son was uh, driving to an OU basketball game, and they had an accident. He, two of his sons had an accident, and his oldest son was, was injured really badly, and he had a brain injury. And it was very serious. And I, and I, I, I left Owasso and went to Oklahoma City just to see him in the hospital. And as I, I sat there with him and took him a little basket of goodies, and I was really praying for him because he had lost a son already to cancer. And now he's facing his oldest son is, is uh, really touch and go. And, and I sat with Jeremy at the hospital, and I said, man, I don't want to say to you, man, I love you. And he goes, you know, Chris, he says, I, I, um, the doctors are saying it's going to be difficult for Caleb to recover. Then he said this, but God can do it. And, and I was like, man, I love you. I love you, man, and I'm praying for you. And and, and, you know, over the last year and a half or so, we've watched God um, work in Caleb's life. I don't know if you've seen his story on, on Facebook, but uh, Ken Freeman, his dad, has been here at our church. And, and, uh, and, and Caleb went to a Thunder game the other day and met a lot of the Thunder guys. And there's a movie about to be uh, uh, produced about his story. And, and, and we watched God do something. I, I mentioned Barry Autry uh, uh, not too long ago, and, and Barry's a member of our church, and he's been battling stage four cancer like a champ, you know, and he's, um, he called me not too long ago and said, man, Chris, I'm, I'm broken. I just got let go from my job, and he said, um, I just got salesman of the year, but, you know, those mergers happen, and some of you have been a part of those mergers, and his company merged with another company, and, and they let him go. And he said to me, Chris, I got a question for you. Who's going to hire a, a guy recovering from stage four cancer? And I, you know, I get tough questions a lot as a pastor, and I, and I, I didn't know what to say. I was like, Lord, I, I don't know what to say to Barry right now. We're on the phone, and, and I just, and, and I said, Barry, from, from my seat, from my human standpoint, I, I look at this, and I don't know, but God is the one that sees you. Um, and you know, a few, a week, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, I'm driving back from Oklahoma City, he calls me and says, you're never going to believe this. I got a job from Body Armor. They hired me, so go buy a Body Armor drink next time you're at Quick Trip. Um, but, uh, but he's like, God came through for me. Um, two weeks ago, I got a phone call from David Sullivan. I've talked to you about ambassadors and our baseball ministry that we started. And 
Justin's father. Justin was the young man who died that went to, that we, he was the first ambassador. And, and uh, David called me and said, his dad, and said, well, Chris, the doctors have told me there's nothing left to do with my cancer. I have, I've been given three weeks to live. So I drove to sit with him and, and to be with him. And, and uh, we began to, I'm walking with a good friend of mine on that walk up to eternity because there's nothing left to be done. And as I sat at his house the other day, I said, um, you know, Dave, let's talk about heaven because God is faithful. And, and you know, in, from our human seat, we walk up to the reality of death and we don't have any hope, but God changed everything. And we've been looking at what the Bible says about heaven. And, and think about that, that idea, but God. I mean, that's, that's the moment that, that we've been looking at over the last several weeks as we look at this Christmas season. Because, see, mankind and, and humanity was in a tough spot. And then God intervened. And then they were in trouble. And humanity was in trouble. We, we just sang about we were in sin and we were in error. And, and that was what we were doing. And I love a holy night because it reminds us that, that we were stuck in sin. And error was the story of our lives but God changed it all. Aren't you glad? Isn't that what Christmas is about? Isn't that the focus of, of the Christmas season? And over the, the last several weeks, we've seen that, that mankind was in trouble, but this incarnation happened. God himself entered human history, and, he, and, and truly, the moment that Jesus entered the world, that was the focal point of human history, wasn't it? Because here is all of humanity prior to Christ's coming, we're looking forward to this reality that a Messiah was going to come. And and now, here we are in 2018, almost 2019. Can you believe that? I can't believe it's almost 2019. And, 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 and we look back on that moment in the first century when Jesus entered the world and see, we were all in trouble, but God helped us. But God intervened for us. And, and, and you know, the last really four weeks in this is week five as we look at this idea that when the fullness of time had come and the springboard for this, this entire series this Christmas is that is Galatians chapter four. If you have your Bibles, please turn there because that's our text this morning as we, as we look at what Paul was saying to the church at Galatia as he writes to them, as he helps them understand the significance of this moment. Would you stand with me? And we're going to read together Galatians chapter 4, 3 through 7. And I'll do my best to, to preach quick today because this is a, we have all our kids in here today, so it's going to be a little louder. So that's good. That just motivates me. And uh, so just, we'll just deal with it. But Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 3, says this, In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, 
God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now look back with me at verse 3, and this has been the springboard of our entire series as we've contemplated and thought through this, this moment, this fullness of time that, that uh, verse 3 says, in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. Now, point number one is this. All humanity was lost and without hope but God intervened at just the right time. Isn't that amazing? That we were lost, we were without hope. And, 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 and you know, when, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. Now, we've looked at this every week, that, that idea that that fullness of time is one Greek word that, that is used, it's, it's pleroma, that, that it was complete, it was perfect, it was, it was absolutely impeccable, the, the timing was right on. And this is what Paul is communicating as he writes to the Galatians that he says, look, understand the moment that Jesus entered the world, that God came born of a woman, born under the law, it was perfect. And we've looked at this over the last several weeks, that, that the coming of Christ was perfectly predicted as we have traced these, these prophets through history as they were um, communicating. And, and here these prophets from God's people, they get this message from God. And then... Uh, their calling from God as they were supposed to, to communicate this to the people of God. And, and so what they did is they get this message like Isaiah that said he would be pierced for our transgressions. He would be uh, crushed for our iniquities. And Isaiah shoots that arrow through history. And it's amazing as you look at the prophecies about the Messiah, about the coming of Christ, that, that it was perfectly predicted. And that's something I pray that we, we recognize as it was the perfect time, Paul writes, because it was perfectly predicted. These prophets, they spoke this. The coming of Christ was also perfectly planned. And we've looked at this over the last several weeks. As, as John the Baptist comes into view, Malachi predicts a forerunner would come. Then John the Baptist was born. It was amazing how, how God planned this perfectly. Then we look through the, new, through the intertestamental period. If you you were with us a couple of weeks ago, we tracked what God was doing during that intertestamental time that ultimately God orchestrated governments and the conquering of different peoples. The Romans came into power, and as the Romans came into power, they built these roads that went all over the world. That As they conquered peoples, the Romans conquered all these different people groups, and, and now the whole world opened up. And and then they developed this peace and this, and this rule that, that when Jesus entered human history for the first time, the gospel could literally spread all over the world. It was perfectly planned. As you look at how God orchestrated history, then, then the, the coming of Christ was perfectly executed. I mean, when you look at what God did as, as Mary gives, gives, gets pregnant and she's a virgin and it defies understanding, it defies nature, it defies science. And then here's this young girl is now with child and, and God takes care of communicating to Joseph and, and the, it was just executed to perfection. And now this morning, 
morning, as we kind of come to a close on this entire series, one of the things I pray that we see is the coming of Christ had a perfect purpose. And this is what I want us to see this morning is why did Jesus come? Why did he enter the world? What did he do for us? And it, was, it, was, it had a perfect purpose for us. You know, I want us to remember, if you were with us this fall, we studied the book of Acts. And, and I love going, normally when we walk through the Bible, I believe that the systematic teaching of God's word is the, is the greatest tool we have to build disciples. And I, I believe the one, one of the things that makes us strong as a church is for us to understand the Word of God and for us to walk through it systematically. And, and so that's why, and right after, as soon as January starts, January 6th, we are starting back into Acts because we're not finished. And, and we're going to take several more weeks as we finish the book of Acts because we need to understand the context of the Word of God. But I want, to, I want you to remember, as we were walking through the book of Acts, Remember Paul's second missionary journey when he went to Iconia and Lystra? And, and we looked at this. This was one of those moments where, where Paul was, was preaching the gospel and these men called, these people called Judaizers, they stoned him, they hit him with rocks, left him out for dead. And, and they were mad at Paul because they were, they were, they were frustrated that the, the Gentiles were coming to faith in Christ. They, their idea was you really had to be Jewish to be a believer, to be a follower of God. But, but Paul was explaining, no, 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 no. You don't have to keep the law to, to gain access to God. It's, salvation comes by grace, not by works. And see, the book of Galatians is written to these people that are, are frustrated. I want you to look back with me at Galatians chapter 3. Paul is trying, in verse 27, look at verse 27. Paul is writing to this church uh, at Galatia, and he's trying to help them understand salvation, the significance of the, of the call of Christ. He says, verse 27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. What Paul is writing here, he's saying, I want you to see the magnificence of salvation. That what God did when He brought salvation to the world, He meant for all people to come to Him, Gentiles and Jews. And this was a, a, an amazing truth for us because, see, we're not. I, I would guess that very, very few Jews in this room. We are Gentiles, and you and I get to be included in Christ because of what Jesus has done. And then Paul writes, verse 29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. And, and see, the Jews were fighting against us. They, they, they thought, look, we're Abraham's children. And what Paul says, you Gentiles, you also, because of what Jesus did, because Jesus came into the world, you are included in his family. We're offspring, heirs according to the promise. And see, we are, we are included in Christ. And this is what Paul is trying to understand. Then he says to ver in verse 3, in the same way, we also, 
In chapter 4, verse 3, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, that, that we were stuck, we were enslaved. But look at what happened. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Verse 5, why did he come? To redeem those who were under the law. So what's, what's Paul saying here? Point two is this. I was lost and stuck in my own sin. But God offered redemption. Now, this is humongous. This is so important. You, you do realize that all of us, when we were born, we were slaves to sin. We were stuck it's like it goes in the face of the Oprah mentality in the world that, that hey, we were all good. We're, we're naturally good. And, and Paul is very clear to, under, to communicate, and the Bible's very clear to communicate that when we were born, we were born slaves to sin. We were stuck. We were in trouble. Remember what Paul writes to the, to the Ephesians, I want you to see this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. There was a time for all of us that we were separated from Christ. Paul writes in Ephesians that we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. That at one point, we were away from God. We were apart from God. We were aliens. We were apart from Israel having no hope and without God in the world. This is where we were. We had no hope in our lives. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, this is so big for us because our greatest need for every one of us in this room is redemption. We all need to be forgiven. We need forgiveness more than we need the next breath that we take. And I want you to recognize that, that, that this message of Jesus is not just some cultural thing that we go through. Oh, well, this is just our, our, our ritual. No, this is the moment that we celebrate the fact that Jesus came for our redemption. And this is big because we needed to be redeemed. Because let me tell you something, even though medical, uh, our, 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 our societies advanced through medicine and through all these things, it's interesting to me that it, as I walk people through life, as I pastor people through life, death is a reality for all of us. And the greatest need in our life is not for this physical body to be restored. Our greatest need is forgiveness of our sin. And what's amazing is Paul communicates this, that, that, that we were stuck in our sin, but God offered us redemption. We were born slaves to sin. Paul also talks about we're born slaves to the law. See, the law is this interesting picture that the Pharisees, they were so religious, they were so righteous, they were so disciplined. And, and you know, when Jesus interacted with those Pharisees, he said, look, your righteousness has to surpass them. You, you, you can't earn your way to heaven. And I'll tell you what, I want that to be a truth that sets into your mind. I don't want anybody to come to, to this church and sit under this preaching and think to yourself that by walking in this door, you're going to somehow go to heaven. Or by, or by doing some work, you're going to somehow go to heaven. Let me tell you something. There's only one way to heaven, and it's forgive, the forgiveness that Jesus brought to us. 
And it's not a work of man. It's not something you can do on your own. And so, uh, that, and, and I want you to see that is such good news because I meet people all the time who are trying to be religious. They're trying to do good works. They're trying to earn their way. And I just want you to know it's not possible for you to do that. We were born slaves to sin, slaves to the law, and this is the reality. And, and God redeemed us. What does redemption mean? Redemption means this, that we were bought out of slavery. Redemption means to buy out of slavery. And I want you to see this. It was the fullness of time that came, this focal point of human history. Jesus entered human history. God in the flesh came here for, the one, for one purpose, to buy you back to redeem you. And Paul was trying to communicate this to this church. And what's amazing is that is that in this moment, in this moment of redemption when Christ saves us, when Christ walks redeems us. It's not something we can do on our own. Jesus came to redeem you. And that's why this Following Jesus must never be mildly important to us because we were purchased with a price. And let me tell you something. Following Jesus is a free gift that we receive, but don't be mistaken, it was not cheap. Jesus paid the price for you. And redemption meant that he bought you and I out of slavery. But not only that, look at verse He says this, back back at verse uh, 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So the reason Jesus came, two things. God came to redeem you. And God came to adopt you. Let's think about that for a second. We get to receive adoption as sons, like Paul says. And and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. You see, what's a miracle about about our relationship with Christ is, is our relationship is transformed with God. Our identity is transformed with God. We belong to him. We are adopted by him, but you realize that he also indwells us, right? He comes into us. He lives in us. And and that's why we can cry out, Abba, Father. I love what Paul says here. He says, um, so, so, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, we have this closeness with God. And this is one of the things that I pray we understand is God is not distant from us. In so many churches, so many Christians that I meet, God is far away from them. And that's not what God did for us. He came to be intimate with us and close with us. And this is why I don't want you to miss the adventure of walking with Jesus and the reality of a relationship with Christ that you are to, we get to have, we have access to him. We can come close to him because Jesus adopted us as sons. So so we are no longer a slave, but a son. Can you believe that? 
We get to, we, we have a heavenly father and, and, and we are an heir of God, the Bible says. Now, I'm still trying to wrap my head around this. Point three is this. And I've been thinking about this because David Sullivan's on my heart. I call him every day and I'm checking on him every day. Point number three is this. I was on my way to death without any hope, but God adopted me as his very own. I mean, see, I want us to see very, just simply, the two reasons Jesus came to redeem you and to adopt you. I don't know about you, but there are many times I'm not worthy of a relationship with Christ. I'm not worthy to be called his son. But, but now that I've understood that I am his son, it makes me want to live up to my name. It makes me want to follow him. It makes me want to honor my dad, honor my father, my heavenly father. Because, you know, Peter talks about this. this uh, he helps us understand the, uh, the amazing reality of this adoption. I want you to turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. And, and the way I memorized this was the NIV, but I want us to, I want us to think about what adoption means. And, and if I can just focus, there's, there's, it's such a big topic, but if I can just focus this for a couple of minutes on just one aspect of that. Peter writes in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And, and you know, Peter knew that, that Jesus started a big controversy in, in John 3 when, when he went to Nicodemus and said, Hey, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. And, and, and this is a new concept. I mean, people today still struggle with that concept of, of you mean I have to be born twice? I mean, I mean and that's, that's exactly true. We need to be born again. That's our greatest need. We've all been born once, born physically, but it's critical for all of us to have been born again. Peter writes that God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection from Jesus Christ from the dead. And look at this, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade kept in heaven for you. So we have this inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. Now, this is an interesting concept because most of the time when we think of inheritance, we think of something we get when my father dies or my mother dies. But when the Bible speaks of inheritance, this is describing what you and I receive when we die. You know, one of the things that I, I pray we do well at this church is to prepare you for the hope of eternal life. Do you know that we have hope in eternal life? That even David Sullivan, when the doctors say there's no hope, can I tell you what? When we, Peter writes about this, that this world's not our home, we forget that sometimes. We think this world is our home. But the Bible speaks of this inheritance that we get when we die. And, 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 and this is something that I, I pray we understand. The Bible's full of these nuggets of truth about heaven and, and what happens when, when this life passes away. And, and, you know, this is a tough time of year for a lot of people because we miss people. We've, this may be the first Christmas that you're going through without somebody in your life. But can I tell you, even in the face of death, you, us as Christians can have hope because we've been redeemed and we've been adopted. 
We've received, we get to receive an inheritance. Now, what is that inheritance that we get to receive? Our inheritance includes the very presence of God. We get to have the presence of God, not only in, in the life to come, but you know, in this life. We get to have the presence of God. Like, like when I talked about Jeremy Freeman, and Jeremy experienced the presence of God, God helping him and restore and helping um, his son's not fully restored, but I'll tell you what, God is using his son in, a, in, a, in an amazing way. You know, we, get to, we got to experience the presence of God with Barry Autry. I don't know how this is going to work out. Barry, let's ask the Lord. Let's seek the Lord. Let's trust the Lord and see God is faithful. We get to know the presence of God. Let me tell you something in heaven. There's going to be a day we all walk through that door. And do you know that we will get to know the presence of God? And the Bible speaks of this. Isaiah 6 is this really cool passage when Isaiah saw the Lord. And when he saw the Lord, he was like, whoa, it's me. I cried. Whoa, look how amazing God is. And folks, let me tell you something. There will be a day because we have been adopted that we will get to experience the real presence of God. Man, I think that's a moment that we're going to go, whoa, wow, God, you adopted me. I, I'm in your family? Are you kidding me? Whoa. Revelation gives us a little picture. Revelation chapter 21 John writes, the, John wrote the book of Revelation. He says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Folks, there's gonna be a day we get to inherit the presence of God physically. Right now, I don't want you to miss the presence of God in your life because he walks with you. He speaks to you. Our inheritance includes the presence of God. Peter, Peter writes that, that, you know what else our inheritance includes? It, it includes an eternity of hope. Man, I want you to know that, that I pray that you follow Jesus. I pray you see who he is. I pray that you, you, you come into his family because I, you know what I believe? I believe if you're here today, God is saying, hey, Look at what I did for you. Look at who I am. Come to me. You know, John chapter 6 says, all who come to him, he'll never turn away. And, and you could come to Jesus today. Do you know that our inheritance will include a, an eternity of hope? Revelation 21 says, verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. Aren't you grateful for that? There's going to be a day in our lives where death is defeated completely. Death will be no more. And I'll tell you, even though I trust the Lord, even though I, I, I believe what God has said, I look at my friend David and I'm thinking, cancer is just stinks. And death is difficult. But let me tell you something, our, what we're going to get to inherit, death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Revelation 24, 21.4 says that, that in heaven there'll be no more sadness, there'll be no more heartache, there'll be no more cancer, there'll be no more um, suffering. Folks, we're going to be in the presence of God. Your knee's going to work. 
right? I mean, my father-in-law told me today he's getting a new hip on January 15th, like the bionic man right now. I heard the, the other day, I was, I was in my office, and I heard this, dun 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 it was outside. I'm just kidding, that was a joke here. Um, but, but I'll tell you what, we're going to be restored. In heaven, there's no more pain. There's no more suffering. Do you know what else the Bible says about heaven? And I'm excited about this. And I've said this many times and, and little pieces of this many times. Do you know that, that heaven will be the greatest reunion ever? Heaven's going to be a reunion. I think we're going to know one another in heaven. I think we're going to know our work, the results of our work in heaven. I, I think we're going to do this. I think we're going to experience this. And, and all through the scriptures, the Bible gives us little nuggets of the truth of heaven. Uh, there was this, remember in Matthew chapter 8, um, Jesus is hanging out with, uh, um, with his disciples and that, that Roman guard, the, the, the centurion comes up to him, the leader comes up to him and says, Jesus, will you heal my child? And Jesus says, uh, okay, he goes, hey, Jesus, all you have to do is say the word, and I believe he'll be healed. Because I'm a commander, and when soldiers come to me and I tell them to do something, they do it. So I believe if you just say it, then, then my child will be healed. And Jesus says, okay. And he leaves. And Jesus looks at, at his disciples and says, in all of Israel, nobody is, has a greater faith than that man. And that, you know that ticked off the Jews? That ticked them off? You know why? Because they're like, he's a Gentile. He's not even a Jew. And you said, Jesus, he has the best faith in all of Israel? That ticked them all off. But look at what Jesus said in Matthew 8, 11, right after this moment. Jesus gives us this window into heaven. He says, I will tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, you know, we're going to eat with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Is that cool or what? I mean, we're going we're to hang out with these guys. I mean, think about that. That, that we're going to know one another in heaven. Jesus opens up the door of heaven and says, hey, they're going to come from the east and the west. You know what that meant? Jesus says they're going to come from everywhere. And they're going to recline at the table. And then he looks and says something very, very frightening. Because I think Jesus points at this world and says, while the sons of this kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Folks in heaven, we're going to know one another. We're going we're to hang out with Peter and Paul and one another. And folks, let me tell you something. It was amazing when Jesus entered the world. He came into this world, and, and, and when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem you. And to adopt you. Oh, this is why I don't want you to keep turning his voice away. This is why I don't want you to, 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 to ignore God's call in your life. This is why I don't want you to miss the magnificence of Christmas. This is why this can't just be a cultural um, 
just habit that we go through. But Christmas is this passionate proclamation. And that's why like, oh, holy night ends with, may we forever proclaim his glory and his presence and his power. Folks, Jesus really did come. And you know, Jesus said he was God. And I believe he is who he said he is. And I believe he will do exactly what he said he will do. And you know one of the things he said he would do? In John 6, 47, he said he would not turn you away. Come to him. If you come to him, he won't turn you away. Oh, would you come to Jesus? Would you come to him and would you experience the, the joy of being redeemed and adopted? <clears throat>